Jesus, I want to thank you that you came as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Uh, you poured out your spirit on us like a dove. You will return to claim your church as the line of the tribe of Judah. In the meantime, you filled us with power, authority, and boldness to proclaim the glory of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Thank you for that. Amen. My name is Nick. I am Zimbabwean by birth, South African by accent. Uh, I'm American by choice and Greek by the grace of God. And uh, I just want to say thank you for being here. Part of what Alan shared this morning was just this desire to eagerly pursue the fact that you've given up your Saturdays show, well, your Saturday. You didn't know you were coming next week too. You're giving up your Saturday. I want to thank the Mercy Commons crew that came out all the way just to listen to me again, uh, and the Southlands crew just to be able to model something of what God has been teaching us. Um, I also want to say that every time we gather, we, the, our task as leaders is to create a context for encounter. Uh, whether we're preaching, whether we're leading worship, whether we're leading a prayer meeting, our job is to steward the presence of God, is to make people aware of what He's doing and to partner with Him in what He's doing. Our job is not to create, our job is to listen to the voice of what God is saying as He ministers to His people. Um, and so I'm just going to tell you a bit of my story. I got saved when um, I was a senior in high school. I got invited to this weird little Pentecostal discipleship group, and we stood in a circle, and we were praying for some people, and um, I don't know if you've ever had this, um, this experience where you are talking, and as you're talking, you're saying, why am I saying this? This doesn't make any sense. And as we were praying for someone, um, I remember saying, were you born prematurely? And everyone looked at me. And in that moment, what happened is I was so embarrassed. I didn't know what had happened. We were praying for the guy that I, I literally just left the room and went into a bedroom. And uh, I was sitting down there thinking, what the heck just happened? What happened? Um, an older man called Ed and came down and sat down on the bed next to me. He said, Nick, let me explain to you what happened. He said, what, what you experience is what, what is called a word of knowledge. It's something that the Spirit of God gave you without any human understanding in order to enable us to pray for this guy. I was like, well, what difference does it make? He's like, well, he was born prematurely, and because he was born prematurely, he has lung problems, and we are going to pray for him to be healed from his lung problems. That was my first encounter with the things of the Spirit. Thankfully, Bruce and Lucy, who led that little discipleship group, and Ed, discipled me in the things of the Spirit. He gave me a book by Charles Finney called Power From On High. Anyone that's over 40 has probably read that book. Certainly if you're Pentecostal, you've read that book. But what happened is I was directly discipled into the gifts of the Spirit and into community. Later when I joined a church um, that was in the network of Newcomer Ministries, I was directly discipled into issues of ecclesiology in terms of how uh, churches should operate in terms of missiology, us being able to go and plant churches and preach the Word of God, and also pneumatology, which is a fancy way of saying the things of the Spirit. Those things were normative for me. Uh, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, tongues, interpretation, healings. 
they went, they went on it. I mean, I, I remember still to this day, Karen and I have prayed for so many women to become pregnant, probably over 30, 35 women, and only one of them still has not had a natural child. And when it comes to praying for women who want children, just be careful, make sure you want children, we'll pray for you, and God <laughs> will do something. Those things were normal for me, and as Alan said, in my mid-30s, what happened was I was indirectly discipled into Christology. What had happened is as, as we were leaving these churches, the gospel had become implicit, not explicit. And one of the things that I realized is that I'd indirectly removed Jesus from the center and displaced him. Not intentionally, but implicitly. And I realized that Christ-centeredness was not only the primary filter of everything that we experience as a community of faith, but also the point and the focus of it. I even, I even tried to change my language. I, 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 didn't, I didn't like the whole idea of gospel-centeredness because, I mean, you guys remember that I'm the gospel-centered movement. Everything was gospel-centered parenting and gospel-centered dieting and gospel-centered everything, right? And, and even, even the term gospel-centered, I'm, I'm like, but, but it actually even takes Jesus out of the center. And, and so, so for me, there was a sense of saying, okay, what does it look like to be Christ-centered? And every, in every season that I was going through, there was a massive element of pride. It's like when, when you find something and you think, I, am, have, I found it. I found the thing that's missing. And as, as one revelation was enlarged, the other one was diminished. And I fell into the same problem that the Corinthians fell into. I don't need you or I don't belong. And, and, and the, as Paul writes to the Corinthians, it's, it's those statements are the most powerful dividing statements within the context of a local church and the broader church. I don't need you and I don't belong. And so Lord, what does it look like to take the things of the Spirit, leadership, church planting, social engagement, mercy and justice, and flow from Jesus rather than compete with Him as an emphasis? We planted a church out of Southlands into Fullerton, and we started gathering kind of intellectuals, and they loved good preaching, and they loved the Reformed teaching, and, and what we had is we, we had a number of people that were skilled in the things of the Spirit for a number of different reasons, just relocated and, and moved, and I realized, actually, the things of the Spirit had, had kind of become a little drier in the context of our, of our church. Uh, 2020, I went to Nepal, and those of you that have done missions abroad will know that, man, you don't need perfect theology and perfect teaching to see God do some pretty dramatic things uh, when Jesus is preached and there is a deep hunger. I came back from Nepal in 2020, and we decided that we were going to not just be cautiously open, not just, I mean, because we were, we, we were a spirit, I mean, we were a church that preach that taught on the things of the Spirit, but we were going to eagerly pursue and desire those things. And as a leader, one of the things that we instituted was a thing called eagerly desire groups. It's like Alan said, imagine how offensive it is to God to say, I'm open to you. I mean, if you were dating someone and, and they said to you, do you want to go out? And you said, well, I'm open, cautiously, you know. <laughs> you wouldn't say, this is a relationship I want to pursue. But God is saying, I want to be with you. He's saying, yes, I want to eagerly desire to do the same thing. As I want to say this, this is a leadership forum, but I, I do want to say this. Please do not, 
Go to your leaders after this and say, we must do what they did. Please do not go and demand that these changes be made. This is just an example of what God was doing with us, some lessons we've learned um, in terms of those things. I came back from uh, Nepal in 2020 and the world went crazy. And so that was the, the COVID years. And then I realized this one important thing during COVID, the thing that we could not do um, through live stream, through the variety of our creativity, was do what Paul had commanded us to do, is every time you gather, each one has a song, a hymn, and a spiritual song. And so we, de we decided that we were going to kind of come together earlier than most because we, we wanted to make that a priority, a uniqueness of us, that the priesthood of all believers was beginning to function again and what was changing, or what had begun to change in terms of a preaching center was now going to be a place where we would create a context for encounter when people came to our gatherings. And so this year, for example, we finished uh, the Summer of the Spirit, a practical theology of the Holy Spirit that was two to three weeks. We also in our life groups did a series called Hearing God. I have all those things available for you. And like I said, please do not make yourself a pain to your leader by making saying we have to do this because we're at different levels, right? We are not a word and spirit church. We are not a word and spirit um, movement. We are a word movement which demands that we are a spirit movement. And so when you stand up there, it's important to say things like, you know, we are not word and spirit because it seems like we're separating, that, that the word is somehow different to the spirit. It's not. Uh, the reason why we invite the Spirit of God to do what He wants to do is because the Word tells us to do that. We are being obedient to the command of the apostles to actually implement that in our churches. And so, um, in this session, I want to talk about a theology, a working model, and a culture. And um, 1 Corinthians 12, I think it's up there, verses 1 to 12, I'm reading from the New King James Version, and hopefully some of my things aren't in there. Not. They are. they are. So, is it just the scripture or is it the additions that I made there as well? Okay. Now, concerning spirituals. So, the word gifts does not appear. Thank you. The word gifts does not appear in the Greek word. It means concerning spirituals. Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. I know that when you were Gentiles, you were carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, charisma, and actually that is how you say it. So, um, 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 but the same Spirit, there are diversities of ministries, the aponia, that's how you say it, by this, but the same Lord, and they are diversities of, acti of activities in Ergemia, which is a work of operation. Now, try and keep those things together. The diversities of gifts, diversities of service, and works of operation, but it is the same God who makes all in all. The manifestation, the unveiling, or appearing, or making tangible of the Spirit is given to each one. Why? For the profit of all, or the common good of all. For to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith 
by the same Spirit, to others gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, and to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these, distributing to each one individually as He wills. For as a body is one and has many members, but all of the members of that body, being many, are one body, so also it is with Christ. The proper translation of spiritual gifts is literally a phrase. You can't actually use the word gift. It means a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, you can tell that that's a little clumsy. Right? So, so Paul says to each one of you is given a gift. What he's saying is to each one of you is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good of the body. And we use that as gifts. Now, I'm not going to do a deep dive into why we are continuationists. Sam Storms has written some amazing books. I've got a couple of them there. You can, you can look at that in detail. Um, I'm not going to... It literally says in my notes, do not get caught up in the passing of Greek words. Okay? <laughs> Too late. Too late. There are four of them, you know. Um, but, but basically what I want you to understand is these are grace expressions. And when we think of it that way, what it does is it removes this idea that we own it. So, so the challenge that we've had with gifts is that when, when someone gives you a gift, it is now something you own. It is now something that you handle. It is now something that you decide what to do. You can re-gift it if it wasn't a good gift. You, know, you can use it. But when we understand that when the Spirit comes upon us, it is an expression of His grace for the good of the body, then it's not something we can possess. Then it is actually something that is given to us for a moment for the good of the body, for the maturing of the body, and also for the revelation of who Jesus is to those outside of the, of the walls of the church, like uh, Alan shared with Will. So because we've erred on the possessive use of the word, we've decided to correct it academically, but this has not led to more life and impactful encounters within the context of our church. So anytime you hear teaching on the things of the Spirit, what usually happens is it kind of gets pushed down a little, right? Oh, that's not what that means. Okay, hopefully the opposite is going to happen as we go out into our various churches. And we, we understand this, that we're not some part of some sect or cult, that this was what Jesus had in mind for his church. And that even though this church was a mess, and those of you that, that teach the Bible will know that the Corinthian church was a mess, Paul did not say, stop all of that till you get your lives in order. He said, no, there is an order of the Spirit. And now, yes, your lives need to mirror something of the purity of what God has called you into. But let's talk about what it looks like to be a people that are motivated by the Spirit for the glory of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So when we talk about theology, there's three things we've got to understand. Number one, as leaders, we have to believe that it is absolutely necessary for us. It's not a peripheral thing. It's not something that we, we can maybe kind of dip into in and uh, at different times. We need the revelatory gifts because they serve the common good. It says that prophecy is given to God's people for their upbuilding, for their encouragement, and for their consolation. It's also given to you for that reason. 
And so as a leader, if you're sitting there thinking, okay, how do I teach my church the things of the Spirit? That's the wrong question. The question is, how do I inculcate within myself a deep desire to be filled and motivated by the Spirit in everything I do? In my personal relationship with Jesus, in the way in which I lead my family, in the way in which I lead this church, in the way I make disciples, in the way I preach the gospel, all of those things need to flow from the Spirit. There has to be a sense of expectation. It says that when we come to corporate gatherings of God's people, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, and all things should be done for building up. That every time we have a meeting, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one meeting, every time we're meeting with someone for marriage counseling, every time we come into a gathering, there is an expectation saying, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying through me? Because when we walk in with that sense, there's already our ears are beginning to be attuned. When we walk in saying, I know that there is something that I have prepared, but God, what is it that you are wanting to say even now? As Alan and I hear, what we're saying is, God, what are you wanting to do in this context? You know, we, we hold our plans loosely so that we can be flexible. Right. With no plan, it's chaos. Example, the Corinthian church. And so that's what we're trying to do to avoid. And then ultimately, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but Alan talked about it. It's a pursuit, an eager pursuit, not an openness. The all-sufficient Word of God explicitly commands that we earnestly desire the higher gifts, which Paul goes on to identify primarily as prophecy. He commands us, pursue the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So I'm going to tackle this from a small to medium-sized church, especially when it comes to dealing with the uh, revelatory gifts. Um, when my wife and I were dating, it was a long time ago, and uh, we didn't have email, we didn't have those kinds of things, and so she used to write me letters. And we used to write each, each other letters, and so you know she would decorate the envelope, and um, one of the letters she sent sand in from the beach and, you know, just really cute things like that. And, um, and so I have some of those letters. I still have them. And when I want to feel close to Karen, I go in the corner and sit with those letters. No? What do I do? I go and I sit down with Karen and say, hey, babe, we've been together over 25 years. You're still with me. What's up with that? <laughs> the, the Word of God is God's love letter to us. It reminds us that He wants to be with us. And often what we do is we take the Word of God and we go sit in the corner and we say, yes, God, I want to be with you. And He's like, Nick, I, I want to be with you. The Word of God reveals how I want to be with you. And so the Word of God is essential. It is our foundation and filter. It is our foundation for every practice that we, um, that we participate in, both as individuals and as churches, but it is not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. It is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why? The Bible reveals the Trinitarian nature of God, and so one of the things we've got to get out of is actually saying, okay, God, you've revealed yourself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it is through the Holy Spirit that I'm able to actually have connection with the Father. Now, who, who are the two people that are praying for us right now? Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of God, mediating on our behalf. Who else is praying for us? The Holy Spirit. Who are they praying to? The Father. For us. 
Man, every time we sit in his presence, we have the Trinitarian God, has, we have his attention. I mean, that should blow our minds. Are the operation of the guests essential or peripheral to you as an individual? Just remember that you cannot give what you don't have, and you cannot lead somewhere where you haven't been. And so now what I don't want you to take from that is say, oh, well, then I guess I can't do that. No, what I want you to take from that is say, okay, I want to start this journey with one step. You know, a leader is very simple. A leader is a person who is one step ahead of other people. That's it. You don't need to be half a mile in front. You just need to say, okay, God, you're growing this desire in me. I'm seeing its necessity in the Word of God. I want to be able to do this in my own life, especially. Unless you individually are convinced that this is necessary for your own life, that it is essential, that there's a sense of expectation and that you are individually pursuing it, it won't happen in the context of the broader community or church that you're leading. Willard says this, Perhaps we do not hear the voice of God because we don't expect to hear it. But perhaps we don't expect it because we know that we fully intend to run our lives on our own, never seriously considering anything else. The voice of God would therefore be an unwelcome intrusion in our lives. Maybe that's why. Maybe we're not scared of all the craziness that has happened. Maybe we're not scared of all the weirdness that has happened. Maybe we're just scared that if we slow down to hear what God is saying in that moment, it's not going to be what we want to hear. And maybe that's why we're not paying that much attention. Prophetic ministry is based on our belief that God still speaks to His children, primarily through Scripture, but also directly and personally through the body. Now, spiritual impressions are what Dallas Willard calls grace incursions into our soul. I love that. These are grace incursions into our soul. And God often drops words, phrases, sentences, images, and the like into our minds that are stamped with the indelible print of His voice. However, they are undeniably subjective. And they're occasionally slippery. And these are a valid means of divine communication. But this is why leadership and partnership is so essential and important. This is also why practice is essential and important. One of the things that I do personally in my life, in my morning devotion, is I have my phone next to me. I know all of you guys that read uh, John Mark Homer's What's It, Hurry Up and Die. What's it called? Um, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, whatever. But this is why I have my phone there. I'm trusting God that as I'm praying for people in my community, I'm saying, God, give me something. So this Friday, this man came up in my mind, and, and all I did was I took my phone and I said, John, I'm praying for this, I'm praying for this, and I feel like God is wanting me to remember this. It's that simple. And if we begin to do that in our own lives, you don't need to be a leader. If you begin to practice those things, you don't need to do it on the phone. You begin to practice those things. You begin to understand what the voice of God sounds like. You begin to tune your ears to that. We need to create an expectation within ourselves and within our communities. You also need to, and I'll deal with this a little later, am I willing to look bad? Am I willing to take a risk and look bad? Uh, I've done this, and I'm going to tell some bad stories here. I, I've, I've done this. There, there, was a, there was a time where a public tongue came, and I happened to be hosting the gathering because God wanted to humble me. And, and someone came up with a tongue, and um, they, I don't know, what do you do with a tongue? You 
Tony. And they spoke the tongue. They came to me and they spoke the tongue. And I said, okay, now a, a public tongue means that there needs to be an interpretation. And so now we're going to wait for the interpretation. Yeah, it was way more awkward than this. Way more awkward than that. And so then I, I said, okay, guys, well, one of two things has happened. One, uh, three, one of three things has happened. One, this was a private tongue that should not have been said publicly. And for that, I take the blame. But two, there is someone within the congregation that has the interpretation, but they're not kind of bold or confident enough to actually speak that out. And so we, we need to be ready to take those risks. God, God has told me, I oh know, there was no third, it was two. <laughs> and James like, yeah, I can count, okay. Um, one of the ways that God has used me is, is often I'll feel like someone has something to share. And I'll maybe call him out, you know. And I'll say, Kirk, I feel like God wants you to share something. And oftentimes that opens the gate. And, and someone is feeling like a little, a little timid. A little, and, and then Kirk's like, well, this, this must be true. But two weeks ago, Steve is here. Two weeks ago, I felt like that for Steve. I said, Steve, I feel like you've got something to say. He's like, no, got nothing. <laughs> I'm glad he did that. Because part of the challenge that we have with, with uh, our Pentecostal charismatic hangovers is that we try and make people feel better when things are not accurate, when things are not right, or when things are kind of a little weird, we don't say that. I'm so glad he felt the freedom to be honest. And actually, I'm still gonna do that. Why? Because no one died. You know, it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the preaching of some kind of heresy. No one died, and what, I, what I'm saying is I'm willing to take a risk. I'm willing for things to be messy so that I don't just corral the spirit into a very kind of thin lane uh, that only happens in five minutes in the corner when you're receiving prayer and ministry. Guys with me? So what we've got to do is create a culture and a working model. So during the gathering, and again, please don't demand this from your leaders, this is what we do. During the gathering, allow space during worship, whether it's scripted or not scripted. Now what does that mean? Because that, I mean, what does that mean? So sometimes someone will come to you before the gathering and will have something that they felt through the week. That actually, I feel like God is wanting to say this, whether it's a prayer, whether it's a prophetic word, a word of wisdom. Someone will come to you and say, I, I want to share that. Or in the course of worship, someone will come to you and actually say, I'm sensing this or I'm feeling that. But I think the question we've got to ask ourselves as leaders is, does your congregation know what the process is? Do they know what to do if God speaks to them? Do they know who to go to? Do they know how to handle it? And so that's one of the things that we've got to teach people. And so that's one of the areas that we've got to be a little more open. We've got to teach the church on Sunday that we are not just Trinitarian in theology, but we are Trinitarian in practice. Yes. Um, and so, for example, in areas like, um, as Southlands has been going through Ephesians, we did a, a couple, I mean, uh, yeah, a couple years ago, when it talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or when it talks about those things, or when it talks about an Acts, then do it. When it talks about healings, then do it. Then, then pray for healing. Why? Because we create a culture of response. And so most of us are comfortable with the idea of like, okay, we're going to respond to the Word of God. The Word of God is encouraging us to kind of 
add this to the reality of our faith. Well, the Word of God is telling us to pray for people that are sick to be healed. Well, let's do that. The reason why we don't do that? Because we're too scared to fail. Right. Now, I have prayed for many people to be healed. Some of them have been dramatically healed. Most of them have not. But I'm out there every Sunday preaching that people will come to faith. Most Sundays, they don't. I will keep preaching. Right? So what do we do? We keep praying. Because one out of a hundred is one person who's been impacted by the grace and power of God whose life will be irrevocably changed. And so God's not keeping score. God is just saying, son, be obedient. I've often said to my leaders, God does not call us to account for results. He calls us to obedience. God will never say, Nick, that was a B minus. God will say, obedient, not obedient. Leave the results to Him. Teach on the theology of God. Teach on the personal work of the Holy Spirit. He did not appear at Pentecost. He was present at creation. He was present during Israel. He's the one that overshadowed Mary. He is the one that empowered John. He is the one that empowered Jesus. And then, Pentecost. The Spirit of God in creation, hovering over creation. The, the third member of the triune God has always been there. Let's teach that. One of the things we do, and uh, we've, we've said this before, we declare, we demonstrate, and we demystify. So we declare that this is something that we are pursuing. We demonstrate it in the sense that we make an opportunity for people to do that, and then we demystify it. So for example, someone will come up, and I'll say the reason that someone is coming up is because we are a Bible-believing church. And the Bible tells us that God speaks through His people. And the reason that this person is sharing is because they believe that they have a word of encouragement. And then we demystify what is happening. And so we're pretty normal about those things. If you ask a question or if you make a, um, an adjustment, the Spirit of God isn't just going to be like, oh, shoot, you opened your eyes when you should have closed them. You laid hands on her head instead of her shoulder. That's it, I'm out. You know? No, the Spirit of God is more committed to ministering in that person than you ever will be. And so all we need to do is partner with them and help people understand that that is what is happening. Just because we are teaching, just because we're showing someone how it's done, does not mean that it's at any less holy moment. Pre-gathering prayer. This is key for us. This is probably where your leaders gather. This is For us, pre-gathering prayer, it might be in your prayer meetings where you actually are asking specific people. You're saying, come ready, come share something. It changes the direction of worship in terms of how that's going to go. Sometimes it's changed the direction of our response um, in terms of the preaching of the word. During worship, and worship leaders here are key. I don't even have enough time to go into that, but, but you need to be investing within your worship leaders. If your worship leaders are not open to or skilled with regards to being um, attentive to and listening to the Spirit, and if they don't have a good relationship with you as you're leaving the meeting, it's going to be very difficult. It's going to be a tug of war. And that's not what we want. Is we want a, a clear trumpet call. And so as you're teaching your worship leaders, one of the things I have to teach my worship leaders is theology. Sorry, there's worship leaders out there. Okay. Um, I realized that one of the challenges we were having with worship leaders is we sing about God and we sing to God. And we were singing way too many songs to God and not enough songs about God. Part of that is because you need deep theology to be able to write songs about God. Just look at those hymns, right? Yes. 
And so I gather the worship leaders, and part of being a spirit-empowered church is gathering your worship leaders and teaching them theology. Why? Because their gift to us is not necessarily theology. Their gift to us is joy, enthusiasm, an openness to the things of the Spirit, a willingness to pursue those things. And then as you partner and as you give to them what your gift is, they give their gift to you. It works as a glorious marriage. Okay. During the sermon, this can be awkward, but it's been powerful. One of, one of the examples Tony's here, I, w- I was talking about Jesus being central and the fact that communion is central to everything we do. And then I looked down and our communion table is in the corner. And in that moment, I felt like God speaking to me. And in that moment, I said, actually, we need, to, we need to change things. And we made a physical change right there as I was preaching. Hey, can two of you guys bring that communion table and move it into the center here? Why was that important? Is it, what, is it like feng shui or whatever like, the deal is? No, it isn't. Because in that moment, what God was saying, and, and I mean, I don't even want to go into the history of this, but what God is saying is the central reason you gather is the, is the blood and body of Jesus Christ. Yes. That should be central to your gatherings, in your preaching, in your worship, and everything. And this is just a simple physical demonstration of what that means. In that moment... Are we willing for that to be that awkward? And thankfully, they don't spill any of the communion as they, as they brought it over. You know, a friend of mine said that he invited his, uh, his uh, boss to church. And, um, you know, he's, he's trying to tell his boss, listen, it can get, you know, a little out there, you know. And, um, and so at the time, someone had a, a word that they shared or, prophetic word and encouragement. It was, it was a little out there in terms of the imagery of it. And afterwards he says to his friend, who's not a Christian, he says, so what did you think? He said, well, I'm coming to a church. I'm expecting things to be weird. I'm expecting things to, you know, to be weird. What I'm not expecting is poor leadership. And so just because things are risky and things can be a little weird does not mean that we are not exercising leadership. What we're doing is actually allowing space in our gatherings to say, Okay, and now this is going to happen. This is what is happening. This is what we're asking to happen. A culture of response. So when someone comes to share something, and then they just sit down, and then you carry on with the worship, what are we communicating? That's not a trick question. We're communicating that that was not important. It was somehow just an interruption of what happened in the gathering. So when you're hosting a meeting, when you're, when you're leading a gathering, one of the things you've got to do is say, if something is brought publicly, then there should be some kind of public response to that. Otherwise, why bring it publicly? Yeah. And so we're either going to pray, or we're going to respond, or we're going to adjust what we're going to sing, etc., etc. The culture response doesn't just work with worship, it also works with preaching. Because as a preacher, you want people to be able to respond to the power of the Word of God. And so you want to create that culture. So when someone comes and shares something with you, one of the questions that I'm asking is like, so what do we do with that? So if Grace comes to share something with me and says, well, what do we do with that? And she's like, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's on me to actually say, well, okay, we'll keep that. We won't share that because there's no clear trumpet call. That's what Paul says to the Corinthian church, right? He says there's a lot of noise, but there isn't a clarity in terms of what God is calling us to and to give ourselves to. Outside of the gathering, our prayer meetings, I've already uh, mentioned that. Equipping the whole church, I've already mentioned doing specific training with specific groups of people. 
However, um, and Alan mentioned this this morning, we, we don't do that in order to protect the gathering from the weirdness. That, oh, we've got a bunch of weird people, let's just put them all in one life group, and let's just make sure no one goes to that life group, and we're okay with that, right? That's not what we're doing. We're doing, in order, we're doing that in order to train, we're doing that in order to equip, and we're doing it both ways. Because we as leaders need to be challenged by those that have revelatory gifts and prophetic gifts, but they also need to be challenged by us. And, and often, and I've said this to our guys, you, you, you are weird. You just gotta own that. You're, you're weird. You don't need to act weirder though. And that's how we can help you. That, that's how we can help you. Sorry, is this being too honest? I don't know. It's supernatural. It's outside of the natural. So people are not going to feel like this is normal. But what, one of the things you've got to do is disciple those with obvious giftings. Just like the relationship between elders and worship leaders needs to be intentional, the relationship between those that are prophetically motivated and the revelatory gifts, you need to be able to disciple them. You need to identify people with those gifts and spend time with them. And this is critically important. You need to pray for them. You need to spend time praying for them because they're open more to the things of the Spirit, which means they're also open to the bad things. They're also open more to attack. They're also open to, to the fact of actually getting things wrong. That, I mean, they can be used as a hand grenade in your community. So pray for them. Ask God to protect them. Disciple them. Remember this. You are discipling a person, not a gift. This, this person isn't just what they represent and the gifting they have. They are a person, a sheep that God has given you charge over. They are an entire person. Disciple them fully, not just in the context of them and their gifts. It's important to be able to multiply this throughout the community because one of the things I realized, one of the deacons came to us uh, um, and she's saying, you know, it used to be like every week there'd be something that would happen in terms of a word of knowledge or a prophecy or, or, or something. God would be doing something and it's, it's now rarer. And I, and I said to him, well, no, actually the other week while I was preaching, I, I looked at Jesse and God gave me something just directly and I just called him out and he stood up and I just prophesied over him. She said, yes, but you're a leader. And when you do that, it comes across as a leadership gift and not necessarily as the priesthood of all believers. And I mean, I was a little disappointed by that perspective, but I realized actually she's right. When it's mainly the leaders that are operating in these things, there's this kind of weird membrane of separation that people say, oh, okay, so life group leaders and pastors and, and those that are responsible, that's where they operate, um, and the rest of us are, are kind of down here. No, that's why we need to be discipling uh, these men and women. Intentional investment. Um, like I said, they need genuine relationship. Um, they need teaching. They need direction. They need correction. They need encouragement. And they also need specific assignments. A lot of people that are prophetically motivated and, and love the things of the Spirit, one of the things you need is, hey man, please will you pray in this specific area? Please will you help us in, in this specific area? And if you have people that are prophetically motivated, oh dear. Um, <laughs> protect them. Don't tell them everything, because one of the things that you want is God to be able to speak through them in an unfiltered way, so that they don't have information that they need to kind of set aside. Okay, Alan, some practicals, shoot. You know what? 
questions. Should we do that? Any questions? Um, and so you come and you give what you have 
um, in confidence that you're giving that you be confident in the gifting of the leaders of the gathering, that actually they'll be able to discern um, what it is that God is wanting to do in that moment. Um, so if, if we're just saying, like, I'm not sure that I'm hearing this, is this what you mean, like, very timid? Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah. So I'm like, no, you're presenting a gift, you're, you're presenting something, let us do our job, um, and that's on us now. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, and then also the difference between like a word of knowledge for the moment and a more broad prophetic word for the future. Okay, so word of knowledge is very clear. Jesus, Jesus had a word of knowledge uh, at the well where he said, no, you're right, but you're not married. You've had five husbands. Something he knew that, that he couldn't. It's very specific. Um, and so when we have those words, they are kind of a more specific word. Like, there's a person here that we, we had it with an abortion, for example. There's a person here um, that have a history with abortion. They're still dealing with some of the um, some of the uh, repercussions of that. As it turns out, it, it wasn't a woman. It was a man um, who had made a woman pregnant and had never had the opportunity to deal with that kind of pain. And so that that was a word of knowledge that came out. Uh, only afterwards did we realize that it was two weeks afterwards when we were praying for him. Sorry, you're questioning it now? Yeah, so um, uh, there is a difference between a, a prophetic word and a blessed thought and an illustration. And a blessed thought is like in the context of your devotion, God just revealed something new to you about him and you think this is a prophetic word. Yeah, everyone starts somewhere. You share that. That's where your leaders are important. Prophetic word is actually kind of a, a more detailed, focused, future-orientated word that often needs interpretation and application. And so, for example, um, when Whittier was planted, um, Manny had a word about left of Leffingwell. And so that was a prophetic word that we were like, okay, I don't know, like, uh, there, is a, there is a road in Whittier called Leffingwell, and so left of Leffingwell, so we started looking more intentionally in that area. Um, I don't think I'm answering your question. Why don't you answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good. I th I, I, the, a, a word for a moment, and then another word that comes like, this is right, but we actually need to weigh this because this is more broad for the future. So no, we don't do that in the gathering. Um, and one of the things that we have, um, that we've done and kind of trained the more prophetic types in our congregation is please don't bring that um, in the gathering because then you're just going to make it awkward for us as leaders. Then bring that to us so that we can spend time praying through that, so that we can understand what that is, so that we can ask God what we feel the direction of that is. So we don't deal with directional words um, in the gathering. Once we've prayed through that, once we've found a witness of the Spirit, you know, when, when, uh, in Acts 11, when, when the prophet said there's going to be a famine, and then they gathered together and they said, okay, well, this could, be, this could be a famine of the Word of God, or is this an actual real famine? No, it's an actual real famine. Okay, what do we do? What do we do? We, are we going to pray that God brings rain? They could have prayed that, but ultimately what they did was they decided to send money. Um, and so in terms of how you interpret and apply a prophetic word, you need the same amount of reliance on the Holy Spirit to help you to be able to interpret what am I seeing and to apply what I'm seeing. And that's where the leadership connection comes in. 
Because oftentimes prophetic types are very motivated in terms of being able to see the vision, but not so much in being able to interpret and apply. That's often a leadership gift that you need to kind of push into. Does that help? What's that? Oh, no more than three. Sorry. In, in the context of a meeting, no more than three. Now, this is not a hard and fast rule. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's four. But this is, again, when I said more important with momentum than direction, you know, because you are leaders in this community, people's um, ability to retain things is not very high. And also, Paul says, you know, let one or two speak and the other sit down. And so you want a clear trumpet call. Um, unless it's a prayer gathering, unless it's an, a night of worship and prayer, there needs to be a limit on um, the amount of words. And that's often, Kenny, what I would say is like, hey man, we've, we've already had three or four, four in terms of that. I'm, we're going to be around for a while, we can ask some questions. What I want us to do is pray for each other. Okay? Now you guys might be scared of things like word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, those kinds of things. And um, But this is... This is the clarity that I want to bring you. Every single child of God has the ability to hear from their father. Every single child of God in some way. Now, some are gifted in certain areas more than others, but it would be the biggest cosmic joke that our father would play on his, some of his children to say, well, you, you can't hear from me, but you, you can. And so we, part of that is practice. Part of that is actually being able to say, okay, we're, we're going to practice that. So what I'd love us to do is break into groups of no more